If you've got your Bible with you this morning, we're carrying on in Luke's, chap- uh, Luke's Gospel, and we're in chapter 5. I'm going to read from verse 27 through to the end of the chapter. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him, and Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are ill. I have not, called, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. They said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered, Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? For the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them in those days, and then they will fast. He told them this parable. No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they will both have torn the new garment, and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No new wineskin must be poured into new wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for they say, the old is better. Let's pray. Lord, as we continue to explore your word this morning and these amazing accounts of your life in the Gospel of Luke, we just pray that we will have those ears that are ready to hear from you, hearts that are willing to respond and be changed. Lord, it's so easy to get stuck in the way that we think, in the way that we do things, but we just pray that your word will will just, yeah, just impact us this morning in a fresh way. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, Claire's away um, with work for a few days in the Middle East, and she'll probably be joining us online at some point today. But the last time she was away, um, I got this text saying, you could have at least ironed your shirt before you preached. (laughs) Now, I wouldn't have minded, apart from the fact that I had ironed my shirt before I preached. Um, So I've taken the liberty of putting a t-shirt on this morning. They didn't really need much ironing. But all of us, if we're honest, care about appearance. All of us. Just think for a moment. The last time you went to, say, a party or a wedding or some formal event, you bothered about what you wore. You wouldn't go there in the clothes that you might do the garden in or in the things you might clean in or or whatever it might be. All of us, to some degree or other, bother about external appearances. Well, in Jesus' day, the Pharisees, this this devout religious group, were passionate about law-keeping. And they often get a bad name um, because of the way that that we encounter them in the Gospels. But they were actually really passionate about doing the right thing. But they were so passionate, they got really concerned with what it looked like to other people, far more than being at uh, one with sort of the heart of the law and seeking to follow what God really had for them. So here, in the next chunk of Luke chapter 5, there are two different things happening. I've called it feasting and fasting, hopefully for fairly obvious reasons. And there is one thing that underpins both these events, and it's this. God is far more bothered with our heart for him and the heart for the gospel than how things look. 
God is far more bothered about what is going on inside of us than how we appear to other people. So if you forget everything else that I say today, can you just remember that? What is going on inside is far more important. Well, let's have a look at these two things that are going on. So we have this encounter with Levi. So who is Levi? Well, Jesus has just healed the man. If you are here last week, there was the incident on the roof, and the man was lowered down. He's been healed. His sins have been forgiven. And then Jesus goes on his way, and he encounters Levi, who is a tax collector, sat in his tax-collecting booth. Apparently, if you look at the picture on the screen, that is what a tax-collecting booth looked like, with an abacus where people could work out how much tax you owed. And Jesus simply says to this man, follow me. Two words that change everything. Follow me. Jesus is still saying those same words to each of us, isn't he? Follow me. Come after me. See the things that I am doing. So what do we know about Levi? Well, we know he's a tax collector. Now, I've talked about tax collectors before, but it's always worth a recap so we get the full front of the narrative that Luke is portraying. Tax collectors were not popular. I don't know whether tax collectors are ever popular, but in Roman times, they were not popular at all. Now, Rome was the occupying power of Israel at this point, and they were the ones who collected the taxes. And there were all kinds of taxes to be paid because the empire was enormous. It stretched right the way from just a bit further north to where we are today, right the way down to the river Euphrates in what is Iraq, all the way down into Egypt and right the way over to Gibraltar and North Africa, an enormous empire. You don't run an empire like that without having money. There was an army to pay for, there were roads to be built, there were great buildings to be built, and so the Romans would take a lot of money from the populations that they ruled over. But there is no HMRC to collect the tax. There is no gov.uk website that you can go on to check your tax rate. So the taxes would be set by the emperor, and that would be then subcontracted out to local officials to collect the taxes. But it was totally and utterly corrupt. So just give this as an example. Rome decides that you owe them £100 as your poll tax to pay. The local tax collector then says, well, I'll add 50 for unavoidable expenses. So you now owe 150. This local tax collector then has 10 people who work for him, who go around the villages, sit in tax booths like this, and they say, we'll add another 50 pounds on top of it for our unavoidable expenses. So how much do you end up paying? 200 pounds. 100 pounds goes to Rome. 100 pounds is fleeced off by local business people to pay for a lavish lifestyle. So we know that Levi is a tax collector. He would be despised by the local population. He'd be seen as a traitor to his own people. But Levi, this unpopular man, this man living a lavish lifestyle, notices something in Jesus that turns his head and causes him to say yes when Jesus says, follow me. So what does he do? Well, he invites people around to his house to meet Jesus. Now, apparently in the ancient world, if you'd met somebody important, the next thing you did socially was you would invite as many people to meet this person as was possible. So there ends up being a banquet in the house of Levi. Apparently this is a famous Italian painting of the banquet in the house of Levi. I'm not sure why they're in medieval costume. Perhaps it was a futuristic event. Um, Might not have been quite that lavish, but you get the kind of idea. Now, Levi is obviously wealthy. I don't know if anyone lives in a big enough house to to house a banquet, Um, I know we don't. We can fit eight round our dining room table at a squeeze. Um, That is not exactly a banquet. But Roman villas, big Roman villas, they would have these big atrium areas, and you could fit 40, 50 people in them. 
And so we imagine this is the kind of house that Levi is living in. And interestingly, those same atrium areas would be the place that the early church would start to grow in the centuries that would continue. Just put yourself in Levi's shoes for a moment. You've met Jesus. You've encountered him. He said, follow me. Who are you going to invite to your banquet to meet him? Who would you invite? Would you have a go at inviting the Pharisees? Well, they won't talk to you. You're an outcast as far as they're concerned. Would you invite the great and the good of the local town? Probably not. You're seen as a traitor. So who do you invite? You invite the people you know. Possibly the people who work for you. Those other tax collectors equally seen as corrupt. You invite other people who the Pharisees later call sinners. Now that is not just a generic term for people who commit sin. Otherwise, that would be absolutely everybody. Now this is a specific term that was used at the time for those who'd been found guilty of breaking the Mosaic law and thrown out of the synagogue. So this would include people who are possibly murderers, thieves, multiple adulterers, people who'd done all kinds of things. It would be a significant breaking of the law, and they'd been chucked out of the synagogue. So the banquet of Levi is full of people who don't look right, they don't do the right things, and they're beyond the edges of society. But you know what? I think it's often the case, isn't it? We are best at sharing Jesus with the people who we understand and who are a bit like us. So when we're thinking, who do I share Jesus with? We go to the people that we know. We go to the people who we can um, relate to, first of all. But we mustn't ever confuse that with thinking, well, that's the only people Jesus cares about. Jesus cares about absolutely everybody. And what Luke's gospel tells us is that the gospel has to resonate beyond the margins of society, or it's not really the gospel. It has to resonate with the broken, with those whose lives are in a complete mess. But the Pharisees don't like the look of this. Look at verse 30. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus has basically trashed his reputation here as a rabbi. He won't be taken seriously because he is meeting with the wrong group of people. He's meeting with those that the religious leaders thought were on the outside. And yet, what does Jesus say? It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. A certain football match has just kicked off, I think. Um, It's 11 o'clock. Not the most important football match of the weekend. That was yesterday afternoon when Stockport County achieved their first win of the season. But a football match that I would imagine will have a rather larger audience. But any football match that you go and watch, there is always a medical team on standby. And if a player gets injured, what happens? The medical team come out. If it's something minor, the physios will will sort things out pitch side. If it's major, you unfortunately see players get stretched off. Now today, if there's a winning goal, which at some point there will be, what would happen if the medical team came rushing out to gather around the goal scorer? You think, well, that's a load of nonsense, isn't it? They don't need that. They want the players around them to come and pile on and celebrate with them. This is, in effect, what Jesus is saying. The righteous don't need the doctor. Those who are sorted don't need the doctor. It's those who are sick who need the doctor. And so he comes to save sinners. He's come to rescue those who need rescuing. And at the house of Levi are lots of people who need to hear Jesus. So here is Jesus risking his reputation, mixing with the unclean, eating and drinking at the table of the outcasts, with those thrown out of the synagogue. Just think for a moment. Where would you be in this story? Would you be with Jesus, meeting with the outcasts, talking with those beyond the edges of society, talking to those that everybody shuns, 
introducing them to Jesus? Or would you be with the Pharisees pointing at people saying, what's he doing there? What's he doing there? Where should our church be in the story? Should we be hosting the banquet of Levi? Or should we be there pointing the finger and saying, actually, not those people, not these people? Just think about that as we go on. See, the thing is, Jesus welcomes all. Come as you are. Come to be born again. Come to be transformed. Come to be forgiven. Come to be changed. But it's a universal welcome. In case you're wondering what that rather odd picture is on the screen, that's our dining room table. Now, we bought our dining room table two years ago, and the reason we bought it is because the one that we'd got when we'd just got married fell apart. Um, I'd upcycled it twice, and eventually the seats were about to snap, so I thought, it's time for a new dining room table. So we went to a shop in Chester to buy this, and the man who we, um, the shopper we bought it off, the salesman, went to great lengths to tell us how to use the dining room table. Now, <laughs> you just thought it was pretty obvious, you know, you sit around it and eat food. Um, but apparently not. Because this particular table is designed as a kind of farmhouse, rustic type of table. If you can see, the wood on it is really thick. And he said, don't be precious about the wood. He said, if it gets scratched, don't worry. If a kid writes, um, you know, puts some paper on it and writes through it and you get to it, don't worry. Just keep polishing it. And over years, actually, it just adds to the beauty of the table. And it will look better with usage. Don't try and preserve it. Don't try and keep it as if it's a highly polished veneered table that needs looking after. And I was just thinking as I was looking at our table this week, isn't that a picture of what the church should be like? You know, sometimes we can worry so much about being polished that we forget to be useful, that we forget to actually be doing the things that God calls us to be doing. And the call of this passage, I believe, is that we need to be a church of Levi's banquet. We need to be a church that actually shares Jesus shares Jesus in all avenues of life with everybody that we come across. And it's a thing that we find right the way through all the Gospels, but particularly in Luke's Gospel, because Luke is particularly passionate about the Gospel resonating at the edges of society. Luke chapter 14, um, a bit further on in the Gospel, there is another story about a great banquet. Jesus has just had somebody call out to him saying this, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. And so he tells the story. And he tells the story about this person who's going to host a great banquet. And the invitations are sent out to all the great and the good. And people start to make excuses why they can't come. The first one says, well, I've just bought a new field. Basically, I'm a property developer. I need to go and look after my my new um, property assets. The next one says, I've got some new oxen and I need to go and try them out. We might say in modern terms, I've bought a new car and I need to go and give it a drive. Can't come to the banquet. The next one comes back and says, well, I've just got married. That's more important than coming to this banquet. And then what does Jesus say? This is Luke chapter 14, 21 to 23. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out and quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. What do we find again? We saw it in Luke chapter 4 when Jesus was in the synagogue preaching from um, Isaiah. We see it in Luke chapter 5. We see it in Luke chapter 14. The gospel has to resonate right across society. Jesus will talk to the religious people, absolutely. But he talks to those who know they are broken 
who know they have need of a saviour. So as we prepare to move into the autumn, and we've only got, is it two more weeks of the summer holidays left? I can't believe where the summer has gone already. Um, But we'll soon be in the autumn term and the start of a new academic year. And as we think about, you know, turning ourselves outwards as a church, our our time of reconnection um, leading to a time of thinking about how we move outwards, are we more bothered about keeping a polished church or are we more bothered about reaching out to the margins? What are we more bothered about? What is more important to us? I don't often quote the Pope, but I did like this that Pope Francis said. I prefer a church which is bruised, hurting, and dirty because it has been out on the streets, rather than a church which is unhealthy from being confined and from clinging to its own security. There's a lot of wisdom in that, actually. That's quite a profound quote. In a few moments, we will share at a certain table. We will share at the communion table a foretaste of the heavenly banquet where we share the bread and wine that remind us of Jesus' body broken for us. But the call to this table is for everyone, isn't it? The call to come, the call to be part of the gospel is for everyone. But we need to live invitationally if people are going to hear this message. Who are the invitation bearers to the banquet? Well, we are. But that can't happen unless we become the evangelists like Levi was. What does Levi do? Well, he effectively says, I've met Jesus, things have changed, come around to my house, there'll be great food and drink, and you can meet Jesus too. What a simple method of evangelism. Come and see and hear the things of Jesus. Now, we don't have the benefit that Levi has of the physical Jesus being present with us. But if today, if you're um, a disciple of Jesus, you are filled with the Spirit, the Spirit is with us, we have stories to tell of what Jesus has done. Wasn't it brilliant last week to hear those testimonies of what God has been doing in people's lives over the summer? You know, testimonies of God's faithfulness, testimonies of God leading people to share him, testimonies of God just being with people on holiday, all kinds of different things. But let's not keep testimony to sharing it amongst ourselves, but to use it to share with other people, to tell of the goodness of God, living invitationally, being willing and able to drop our faith into conversation in a non-cringy, non-kind of threatening sort of way. Chatting about the hope that Jesus has given us, Now, with some people, that's all you need to do, and the rest will follow. Other people, it might be wrestling with some of the big questions of the universe, and let's not be be prepared to do that as well. You know, to have those deep conversations with people. Peter puts it like this in 1 Peter 3.15. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to do so. Give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. I know this is not exactly rocket science stuff, but are we sharing Jesus? Are we prepared to be Levi's this summer going into the autumn? You see, I think one of the dangers is that as church, we can end up doing so much church stuff, so much Christian things, that actually we can forget to encounter the very people we're meant to share Jesus with. We can forget to put the time and the effort in to creating those relationships. Are we prepared to be a Levi this morning. Let's just move on quickly to the end of this passage where the theme changes from feasting to fasting. As so often happens, the Pharisees are not happy with Jesus' answer. They never seem to be happy with what Jesus says. And so they change tack 
And rather than talking about the feast, they go on to talk about fasting. And they, they make the accusation, why is it that your disciples are always feasting and eating and drinking, whereas our disciples and the disciples of John the Baptist are so often fasting? What's going on here? Now, fasting is a biblical principle of giving things up in order to focus on the Lord, whether it's through prayer or Bible study. And it's not done out of obligation or ritual, but it's a heart response to the things of God. And it can be an incredibly powerful way of putting time on one side to pray, to seek the Lord, and to seek his heart. And we can fast from food. I mean, that is the the main way that in the Bible we see it. But there are all kinds of other things that I think in life it can be helpful to fast from in order to focus on Jesus. It might be that you say, actually, I'm not going to touch my phone today, and I'm going to pray. Have you ever tried doing that? Be a challenge. I'm not going to go on social media. I'm not going to engage with my hobbies. I'm not going to watch sport, whatever it might be, so that we can then focus on the heart of God for us. But just as at the banquet of Levi, the appearances of fasting are not what matter. You see, the Pharisees were all tied up in fasting, and they thought that you had to fast, but you also had to seem to be fast, fasting to show your seriousness and your dedication to the Lord. But Jesus says, well, there's nothing wrong with fasting, but you've got to do it in the right way. It's not about creating this atmosphere of seriousness, but it's about real heart dedication to the Lord. And he says, well, my disciples don't fast because I'm with them at the moment. There's no need to fast. But once I've gone, once I've gone to be with my heavenly father, then fasting comes back into the picture. And so he gives us two parables to illustrate this. And the first one is about an old garment and a new garment. And he's saying nobody would buy a new item of clothing to patch up an old item of clothing. You just wouldn't do it. You know, if you went to the shops and bought yourself a new jumper, cut a hole out of the new jumper to repair an old one, you'd have two absolutely useless items of clothing. And he then goes on to talk about new wineskins and old wineskins. And apparently, if you put new wine into an old leather wineskin, the thing bursts. And so you just don't do it. So Jesus is actually making a really key point. He's saying to the Pharisees, what you can't do is bring all these old rituals of Jewish life into the gospel of grace and expect them to say exactly the same. You can fast, but fast because you have a heart for the Lord, not because you want to look impressive. You can fast and you can pray and you can seek God, but do it as a response to the gospel of grace, not because you think it gets you closer to God. So it actually brings us full circle. It's all to do with what is going on in here. It's not to do with looking respectable. So I just want to leave you this morning. I know we've dashed a little bit all over the place in this passage. Three things. Are we prepared to be a Levi? Are we prepared to do the things that we see Levi doing? Not being bothered about looking respectable, but being Jesus' people, primarily. What does it mean to live invitationally? What does that mean for me? What does that mean for you? To live in a way that we can introduce others to Jesus. And then, just very simply, is God challenging you? about fasting. It's not something we talk about a lot. Probably we don't talk about it enough. But is it something, perhaps this week even, that God is saying, would you spend time with me and put aside other things in order to seek my presence? Perhaps even link those two things together. We fast in order to work out how we live invitationally and seek God's heart. A lot to think about, but as we come around this table, we remember this is a foretaste of that great banquet when we will be with God forever. Who do we want to see there? Well, we want to see as many people as possible, don't we? But that will only happen if we become just like Levi. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you this morning for the example of Levi. We thank you that he was called to follow you. 
And we thank you that in his obedience, the first thing he did was to lead other people to meet with you. I just want to pray um, for opportunities this week that we might have to just share something of your goodness with our friends, with our family, with those who we encounter. So Lord, we just pray that as we've explored this passage, that you will just help us to wrestle with some of those things. Lead us to the things that, mean, um, that matter to us today, we pray in Jesus' name.